welcome to episode three of the How the Do You Implement Service Operations Podcast. As usual, or as usual by now, I'm happy to say I'm joined once again by our guest speaker, our guest star, I should say, co-host, Ashley Poxton. How are you doing, Ash? Hi, Phil. You all right? Yeah, happy good. Monday. Good yeah, thanks. Yeah, I look so happy for a Monday, dressed in literally shorts <laughs> and a hoodie because I've been so destroyed by work over the weekend. How was yours? All good? Yeah, it was all right, yeah. I generally try to keep my laptop shut at the weekend, does it always happen, but there we go. Well, you look so fresh on a Monday, you see, because I'm looking very haggard and a bit more well, grey. I've been to the office this morning, so I've had to try and make a bit of an effort, whereas normally, yes, it would be shorts and a hoodie. I'm only joking. <laughs> I have been to the Love office. It. Love it. Excellent. Good. So uh, I feel like we're starting to get a little bit more mature with the podcast now, and actually it's time to bring someone in from the shadows uh, one of the, the people that make this all possible. I'm talking about Carl Cooper, who is our um, our podcast producer, executive, the podcast god of Sapphire. And um, Carl, you want to say hello to everyone? Hi, everyone. Nice to meet you all. <laughs> Thanks, Carl. <laughs> the reason there is a sinister uh, point behind uh, introducing Carl is that me and Ashley talk about a lot, obviously, and unpack a lot in this hour, and then I get actions, and I basically forget what those actions were. So now it's Carl's job to remind us when we have actions. So now I can reference Carl and say, Carl, please remind me to do this for next week's podcast, and then he's on the hook to remind me to make sure I get it done. And, and Ashley, you know, feel free to abuse Carl as well for tasks, obviously, <laughs> and not like coming around and watching your car or anything, but podcast-related tasks. Anyway, we digressed. <laughs> we digress um, let's go for our new feature our weekly project update weekly project update so I hope you like that little um, I don't know what you call that actually that like, little voiceover effects that we've brought in um, just going to run down very quickly the, the update from the project for this week Delighted once again, and I this is going to come and bite me hard in the ass at some point, but I'm looking at a green uh, spreadsheet across the board. There's some interesting stuff, though. Uh, CX engines have been uh, installed successfully uh, for the new Azure event management piece. And actually, I know you want to talk about the CX engines in a bit more detail this afternoon. Um, so we're now ingesting successful events and alerts from uh, the Azure uh, API integrations. And we've got metric intelligence up and running in dev and pre-prod. Now we had that up and running last week in terms of it was installed and it was switched on. We are now ingesting three feeds or three Azure subscription feeds into metric intelligence and starting to build up those baseline rules, which I think is a major step forward in, in where we were uh, even from like four or five weeks ago. So now we can start to build that AI intelligence um, baseline around the metrics that are coming in and we can move away from those upper boundary rule sets that everyone hates. So, I mean, those are the two headlines for me. I don't know about you, Ashley, anything that you wanted to mention? No, and that's, you know, that's brilliant to hear. Um, I wasn't aware that we'd got metric intelligence up and running in dev and uh, pre-prod yet. I know there was some work going on last week, so big shout to Mehul for getting that completed. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, Nash are going to, well, especially the Azure team, are going to really benefit from that intelligence piece and um, the onboarding of the events, just due to the amount of um, 
false positives they were getting from uh, the RTSM version one connector that came was obviously part of uh, Microsoft Azure. Um, on the DCT side, so the work that Becky and Holly and Peter are leading on, that seems to be going really well. There is obviously still, because that's a bigger piece of work, there's a lot, lot more workshops yeah. involved. There's obviously more infrastructure involved around the mid-servers and um, with it being new data centers, it's a lot more, there's a lot more networking configuration that needs to take place. Um, but I think once we've got that over, over the line, um, we should start to see some progress there as well. And then, of course, Bill, we've also got the stuff that's not happening in Azure and happening in the data centers. We've got the stuff that um, Chi and Alex are working on around um, some of our business services and onboarding th their their logs into Health Log Analytics because there's a piece of work there that's on fire at the minute um, around some work order synchronization. So that's in flight at the minute. Um, everybody's really excited about that. Good. And no, you know, Fuck-ups, no major issues, nothing running over budget, over time, projects moving forward. Everything's over budget. Um, <laughs> no, but at the minute, no blockers, no concerns, uh, no timeline issues. Um, oh, just, just whilst we talk about uh, the project side of things as well, UWP 2.0 will start to land at some point soon. Um, so as we as, as we've done successful work in UWP 1.0, I'm not sure if you're aware, but they're also uh, replatforming UWP onto a version called 2.0, and again we'll need to start providing observability and AI ops around that uh, infrastructure and digital products. Wicked cool! And for those that may not have listened to last week's podcast yet, um, first of all, pause this, go back and listen to that. Uh, but second of all, UWP is actually. So it's our unified web platform, uh, which is National Grid's retail website for US customers um, where the people can go in, register, pay their bills, link their accounts, um, submit meter readings where applicable, because obviously National Grid like to roll out smart meters as well. Mm, excellent. Good. And just a shout out to Squad Two Four Nine, uh, which is uh, Becky and Mihal and Lisa uh, and everyone's uh, squads. We, we we run Dev Squads inside uh, Sapphire works really well. I absolutely love um, Squad Two Four Nine, mostly because of their their catchphrase internally, which is "Pressure is for tires." Uh, absolutely love it. So shout out Squad Two Four Nine. Uh, you're absolutely killing it on this program. Keep going. So um, context engines, Ash. Go ahead. What, yeah. what, are we, what do we well, want to talk about? Well, I think it's useful. For, you know, there's a lot of talk about what context engines are um, and how Sapphire or, or yourself, Phil, introduce these, develop um, um, and the extra value they offer over the top of normal ServiceNow event management metric intelligence. And we're mm. obviously looking to leverage them at National Grid, so I thought it'd be useful for you to give a big overview or a little overview as to why they're important and the benefit they bring. Cool. Um, is this to refresh your memory before that meeting you've got tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, all right, so the context engines, something that I first developed back in Thames Water Days, um, actually, believe it or not. Um, and what we do within ServiceNow is we're very good at um, ingesting information from lots and lots of different places and doing various space capabilities within the platform, uh, which are the event management rules and the other management rules and so on and so forth. But um, it doesn't really take into account the whole of the CSDM, CMDB models. And in fact, even the CMDB, CSDM models are not 
fully designed for ITOM, right? So ServiceNow never looked at the CSDM model and thought, ah, we should do this, this, and this specifically for ITOM because I have a wider platform to think about. So part one of the um, the context engines is actually the SCA or the service-centric architecture model. That is a bolt-on upgrade to the standard CSDM uh, v4 now um, framework model. And it's basically just an attribute dump. So we add uh, anywhere between two to 300 attributes across the model, depending on your organization, the size, maturity, and so forth, which then allows us to use the context engine rule sets and the AI rule sets that we bring in as part of that to process impact, um, process the criticality of services, little things. That, you know, And yes, some of this uh, functionality that I described similar is available out of the box, but it's just not as intelligent as what we've got. You know, from example of how many services are impacted by a single database, single server, single network port, et cetera, and then running the knock-on chained impact right the way up to the top-level service. So you could have three applications knocked out by the loss of one network switch. Um, and we take all of that information, all of that data across the entire stack and then run up the impact of the tree, which just isn't isn't capable out of the box. The context engines themselves... There are two of them. One of them sits in the event um, side of the um, um, of the process, and the other one sits in the alert side. And that's responsible for filtering, grouping, and governing the data that's coming from the raw payloads. I say raw because you kind of pointed to earlier, I think we had a chat before the show, about all of the different sources that we're bringing in. And when you're talking about... Um, okay, you, you had a really nice phrase for it. Um, what are you talking about? Go on, I can see. Well, I call it domain centric versus domain agnostic, and we prefer domain agnostic data and events uh, as opposed to domain centric. Yes. So, and explain the difference for us. So, d- d- domain centric uh, data or AI ops is where you've got tools such as. SolarWinds, um, Virialize Ops, Datadog, Dynatrace, um, Lightstep, whatever you want to call it. And their rules and data is effectively specific to that tool. And then you get teams who just want to be interested in that tool. Domain agnostic AI Ops is where we are interested in where the data sources come from, but we're not interested in, in what the tool is. So we're more interested in what the data source type is. Mm. So exactly yeah. that. Yeah. So we take all of the the, the um, data points from those various toolkits, and we ingest them into ServiceNow. We ingest them in a raw, unedited, unedited, ungrouped, unmodified state direct from the tool. And this is for events or alerts, depending on what the toolkit calls them, and metric points. We don't want them to group it together. Now, what the domain specialists do, network team does inside SolarWinds to do investigation, so forth. I don't care. They can do what they want. They can set up the AI rules. They can have the baseline and they can set up events or, or alarms or run books and so, and so forth, excuse me, inside that tool. But for our point for building the uh, AI ops or service operations knock, we want that information raw so we can read the payload. ServiceNow is a really advanced regex editor on platform read the payloads, group them, bind them to CIs, all that kind of usual good stuff that you would do. Now, Context Engine 1 runs the relationship chain on a technical um, level, understanding how everything fits together, reading data from the service maps, reading data from the SCA architectural model that I talked about uh, a second ago. 
decide what to do with the um, the actual groups event, whether it's going to do nothing or it's going to park it as a smart event. And I'll come back to that, or it's going to generate an alert. CX2 sits as a rule set and a capability in the alert side. So once it's been passed from the, the first context engine into the second, that then runs the rules um, and the capability against the business services and capabilities um, section of the framework, and again, using the SCA architecture to drive impact up the tree. And this is why, and we start to, I have heated debates all the time with CSDM purists putting application service at the middle of everything, driving the whole capability model to our version of um, the ITOM CSDM model, where we still have applications, but they sit off, off to the left, sit center left, and business applications sit in the middle of everything. Uh, and then uh, application service links into business service, um, sorry, business application and the lowest level of business service. Now, CSDM is a fantastic framework, but it is just a framework. Like ITIL, you cannot, I am yet to find an organization, certainly not grid, where you can just pick up the CSDM framework, drop it into production, and it's going to work for you because number one, your, your, your company is really old. It doesn't work that way. Number two, there is a mass maturity curve to get to it. There's a reason that service now put five steps in order to be able to get CSDM modeling. Uh, and, number four, and number three, I, I just don't think it works that well as an ITOM model, which is why obviously we've changed, we've changed things around. So, uh, but the second context engine runs at that layer, process it all together. And that's the thing that makes the intelligent decision of where, are we, what are we going to do with this? Are we going to, we're going to generate an incident? Are we going to um, have a smart alert? Uh, or are we going to do nothing at this point and just leave it as a notification? Uh, so 30,000 foot view, that's what the context engines are doing. And they use a lot of the native capability, you know, the, the fantastic AI and ML engine that sits within the now platform, that, that really good regex vector I was talking about. And it's just code that sits on top of that. It's packaged individually. It's packaged separately in the right way as a mini app. We install it and then we tune it for your, your organization. Did you get notes for your meeting, Ash? Yeah, I've just uh, recorded all of that. Um, <laughs> just play this. Play that. We'll give you an early oh, edit. Just yeah, play yeah. this back tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Can you just do a quick whiteboard for me as well while you're at it? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, what about the ongoing? So, sorry to keep pressing on that, Phil, but no. on CX ones, how do you continually develop? the CX engines? Is there a roadmap? Um, how, how do you know what needs to come down the line next? Sorry to... No, no, sorry. not at all. Not at all. So we, we have two um, licensing versions of the CX, and, and the one you guys have specifically taken is a PS-only um, uh, license, if you like, where we installed it for you, we set up the base config, and we maintain it as long as we're in the park running our project. Uh, at that point, you know, the idea is, and, and in the conversations with Rob, you would be building your center of excellence um, ServiceNow team that will then pick up responsibility of that, tween the rules, introduce new rules, introduce new capability to it. We've obviously got the GUI front end, which is the main management portal of the context engines. So your team will support that kind of going forward. Uh, the other version of that is that it's almost managed. That's more in our item as a service product or, or Bob or whatever we're calling it now. Um, where we manage and maintain those rule sets. Um, and there is a kind of a hybrid where, where we do it on behalf of companies like yourselves, but that's more of a, uh, a managed service inside a service wrapper. So the good news actually is I think this is going to be dropping solely at your feet and then you can manage it going forward. Can't wait. 
so just on that point, though, Phil, am I right in thinking that as you onboard more data sources of a different technological um, architecture, so mm. for example, if you onboard uh, you onboarded Datadog to provide a, a data source, is there a lot of reconfiguration in the context engine rules to be done, or is it intelligent enough to not need a lot of water and feeding? Yeah, one, it doesn't need a lot of water and feeding. Once you've got, obviously, it utilizes some of the base event rules that sit in the platform. Once you've got the event source and the metric source connected, so the data is pouring into the platform, the context engine will apply as the new source against the existing rule set. So you don't need to go and create new ones for it. It's pretty yeah. cool like that. Yeah. But it was my flux capacitor moment. I Except I didn't have slip and hit my head on a toilet seat. I was sitting on a train when I thought of it, I think. Uh, but that's my Doc Brown moment. All right. the 80s, Back to the Future geeks. Uh, I'm old enough to remember it. I actually saw a, um, a, a DeLorean. Uh, I was driving through Essex on the weekend, and I saw a, a DeLorean that had been retrofitted to look like the Back to the Future one. It was so cool. I wanted to look at it a bit longer, but it was raining, and the guy drove off. It was cool. Well, you didn't drive after him and buy it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what he would have wanted for that, but yeah, that was pretty cool. Okay, brilliant. Thanks for that, Phil. Uh, that's good. What else have we got? Or what do you um, want to talk about? Well, I guess the, 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 uh, mainly for the audience, um, one of the challenges we've seen uh, recently in a number of our projects is log shipping methods. So mm. ServiceNow Health Log Analytics and ServiceNow Event Management and CX Engines um, are only as good as the data that you get in there. and to that point, getting your data into ServiceNow, you know, it's not as easy as maybe what everybody thinks, especially in, in an environment like National Grid, where there's a lot of legacy infrastructure, legacy applications. That a lot of the logs are stored locally and they're not shipped to somewhere like um, Azure Log Analytics, Splunk, etc. A lot of legacy platforms as well. Um, we have noticed we have to look at alternative methods. So we can't just ship straight to Azure Log Analytics. We can't ship mm -hmm. to Splunk because there needs to be an additional agent deployed. Case in point being this week, we discovered we need to come up with a log shipping method for a, a legacy platform to be able to do some work for, well, actually to be able to finish off UWP 1.0. There's still work in progress going on with that. Um, and there's still got to be some architecture decisions made around how we're going to get these logs from an old legacy platform. Oh, to, yeah. Pardon? I was, yeah, yeah, phone call coming oh, in. Someone checking you're yeah. still alive. I like it. No. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it's just, you know, I think people have to identify the log shipping methods and have the infrastructure in place to mm -hmm. make any project like this successful. If they don't, then you could end up having a lot of stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think actually, um, and, oh, it's, it's like it's perfect. We should get, Carl, your first action. I think we should get next week our first guest uh, onto the show. And I think probably Alex or Chi, maybe Alex, I think, has been handing the WP 1.0 stuff. We should yep. get Alex on to discuss exactly that, like the approach, the design, maybe a little bit, even technically how they're doing it and what they're doing. So, Carl, yep. you want to take an action to invite Alex on as a guest next week? It's on the list. My man, thank you very much.
But you're right, actually, because stuff like that, you know, everything is really easy when you're drawing things off on a whiteboard. And that's where I get the easy job, right? So I point that system to that system. But actually, the technology is quite old over here. We don't have an API that can just stream this stuff. Is this the same thing you email me about the SQL logs, or is that something different? Uh, database logs from a table. That actually, there's two. There's two examples where we're looking at um, whether we can do that or not. Um, so Alex is off looking. Alex from your team, obviously, is off mm. looking. And Chi are looking at whether we can get the da- data out or not. Um, we don't. I don't know what the value of that data is just yet, especially given UWP 2.0 is going to be st- built soon. So, given that this is part of UWP 1.0. I don't want to spend a lot of time getting data out for an old platform that's going to be um, replaced over the next few months anyway. Yeah, no, agreed. So where I've done that before, and it wasn't obviously for HLA because it's a relatively new product. And so I did get confirmation because I was doing a bit of fact-checking myself about the largest install of HLA, you know, kind of in the UK and America's. And by size and volume, when we finish with you guys uh, at the end of the year, it will be you. You'll be the biggest HLA uh, transaction installation um, globally on the platform, which is pretty cool. Little tidbit. And don't forget, we've only just started to scratch the surface with it. So there's Mm going to be a lot more going into HLA than what we're currently doing. Yeah. Maybe that's a bit of a a mic check to ServiceNow to get them to help us, help them to steer the roadmap on HLA a little bit because you're going to be like the power users. You know, you're testing iOS 6.1 beta and you really need to have input into that because you're going to be chucking millions and millions of logs of this thing, you know, on a daily when we go and get up and going. Yeah, well, I think for GBO work order, there was talk around 50 million log line entries could potentially go into it. I'm not sure if that's a day. I think I might have made that figure up. But a lot more than what's going into UWP 1.0, put it that way. Yeah, 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 exactly. A lot. Yeah, so you, can, you guys can be a real power user. In fact, it would be really interesting from our audience. And, Carl, I think we should probably get a web address set up, like questions at the you know, podcast title or something, so a way for people to get in touch. In case they've got specific questions, they probably want to ask Ashley some questions about how they decided on the tech and issues that they've had, maybe relating some stuff like that. We, let's drop it in the in the description of the, this episode when it publishes, if we could. Just because you know, what what do you guys think about HLA? Have you come across HLA? Are you implementing HLA? Are you looking at doing it? You know, what lessons can we give you, or can we take away to, to feedback in the next couple of weeks around specific points in HLA in terms of tech design and so forth? See, I bet he's glad I introduced him because he's already got two pieces of homework now. He's a lucky boy. <laughs> um, but specifically well, on that point from yeah. the database, um, you know, collections, the way I've kind of had that before or the way I've implemented it before, this is actually um, back from my days in media where we had a, a really old, I was at the Herald and Times up in Scotland, um, lovely old office. It's, it's actually Tesco Bank has taken over where their office used to be and their, the old, my old office, my old hunting ground is now a job center plus. I don't know what it says, but I uh, absolutely love my son over there. But anyway, I digress. What we did was I had, I think, you know, 100 or 150 SQL databases that were doing various things for, for the newspaper. We needed to extrapolate logs into a central place. And rather than creating connections between each individual database and the platform that we were using, um, 
which I don't know if I can name. I'll check if I can. If I can, I'll put it in the comments. Uh, we actually then just forwarded all logs onto a, another SQL database uh, that was sitting in the same catalog and then connected that database into our collection tool, our central point. And that was a bit of a quicker, easier way around kind of getting that all going. Um, I don't know if that's relevant, maybe completely irrelevant. Who knows? Yeah, I'll have to check with the database team about what's possible. Um, but just whilst we're talking about HLA and um, logs and how many logs we're going to be chucking into HLA, is it worth talking about the retention periods that ServiceNow mm. offer in HLA and what what we're doing around archiving it um, to make and also not just archiving it, but making it more accessible to business intelligence tools? So, Phil, I don't know if you want to talk through the, the the data retention and how it works 30 days and what the limit is per day, I think it is, a terabyte or yeah, whatever. Yeah, actually, because we had to have quite a few calls on this, didn't we? We had to clarify what it said on the ServiceNow website. Um, because by default, oh, God, I'm going to have to get this up in the background now. I mean, putting me on the spot here. Uh, no, I've got to give you the heads up on that. Yeah. Well, um, so I thought that by by default you, you've got a maximum of thirty days if you ingest one terabyte a day. Um, I might be wrong on that. And then the more terabytes you ingest, the the less retention period you get, and it automatically reduces your number of days from thirty to twenty to fifteen, eight, etc. Depending on how much data you, you pump it into the platform. Yeah, that is correct. I'm just trying to, because I want to make sure that everyone's got the actual numbers. I'm just having a look here, and I think they've changed it since our conversation. They have certainly tidied up the language since our conversation, but you're right. So by default, I believe it's 15 days out of the box that you get as a retention period. That can be increased up to a period of 90 days as your overall uh, retention period, right? Uh, and it's based on the volume that comes in, not 90 days, it's 30 days, sorry. Yeah. Um, and then that increases or decreases based on the volume that you've got coming in. Yes. So, but then also your size of available storage space, space increases. So out of the box, you get one terabyte and it auto scales up to five terabytes in the background without you having to do anything um, yeah. and you don't know there's no additional cost for that so the auto scanning set or disk space will go up but the retention period will go down and i think the minimum that they hold them is 24 hours as you start to pump more logs into the platform um, so it kind of yeah auto scales up and retention period goes down in order to normalize the data that's being held within the platform uh, and yeah, the the language that I'm seeing on the ServiceNow website now, since our conversations with them, has definitely changed and is a lot clearer. Um, and hopefully, my paraphrasing of that has, has, has cleared that up. Yeah, and it and it's useful because you know if you typically think about um, IT operations teams, they're interested in the here and now, what's happening mm -hmm. right now, and that's what they need to take action on. But there's a use case for that data to be stored long-term, such as business um, intelligence um, teams who want to be able to report over the last 12 months, we saw this kind of pattern when these um, scenarios were met or this environment was met. So we're actually integrating, uh, or we're looking to integrate our ServiceNow operations data, and that includes incidents and changes um, 
to Snowflake. So I've got a call yeah. this afternoon with Greg um, to work out what they're planning on doing and how we can use that for our event management data and also our health log analytics data. Yeah, and I think that's and, and the distinction there, the separation is really important, right? This stuff, HLA, is used for um, real time. I'm investigating an issue right now. I've got a problem, um, and that's what HLA is going to be used for on our platform because that's what it's absolutely perfect for doing. Um, as in, it is my dog. Uh, is it is looking at real time problems that your ops teams are working on in, in right now, right? And then the Snowflake stuff, other tools are available, but Snowflake is, is very good. That's when you're going to start to look to run trends over yeah. the last 18, 12, well, 12, 18, 24 months, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't need to sit operationally. You can use a cheaper licensed storage um, platform to run that, run that um, analytical information against. So yeah, no, uh, very specific use cases. And I think with Snowflake, there's actually no... Limitation? No. I don't, well, I, I don't, I'm not. Obviously, I'd need to speak to the Snowflake platform team, but I don't think there is. We've not been made aware of any. Mm. But the beauty of having all of our data that you know, we, we want other other business units to consume that data that we're getting around the technology and digital platforms. You know, the operational mm. side of things. We don't want the data to be siloed and not be easily accessible to other business units who might want to slice the data in a different way, combine it with data they're already getting from their other environments uh, or their other data sources, which aren't already going into service now. Yeah, totally. Totally. Good. Okay. I think we're there. We're thereabouts. Anything else you wanted to cover this afternoon? The key point, the key point is that project is on track. Everything is green. Ashley is still smiling, hasn't killed me yet. So, uh, but Ashley, anything else you want to cover? Uh, no, not this week. I think probably next week we can check in as to where we are with the actions that Carl's got. Yes, there you go. Say <laughs> bye, Carl. <laughs> bye, everyone. Cheers. Thanks, everyone. See you later. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was the latest episode on how the f*** do you implement service operations. Hopefully that's given you some insights. There's been a lot of pain. There's been a lot of victories. It's never going to be an easy journey, especially with a project of this size. We hope to see you next week where we'll give you more insights on how the program's going. Yeah.